Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. So today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, I have Nidra Deadweiler with me from um, the Save Your Spaces Conference. So thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Danielle. I appreciate um, the offering. You're welcome. Uh, so tell me, tell me about your background. Yeah, so I think um, the most relevant part of my background really is the fact that I am a native Georgian, and um, and uh, I think there's just been a lifelong pursuit to find history that is. That I didn't that I identify with, mm-hmm. um, and that also has some a bit of laying more information out um, of my family's history and heritage here um, from Northeast Georgia, Middle Georgia, um, and just a Black experience in general. Right. Uh, yeah. So um, my education has been a social worker. So um, we have a BSW, have an MSW, I was, I'm an LMSW, and recently graduated from Georgia State with a master's heritage preservation with a focus on public history, oral history, Dr. Cliff Kuhn, I met him um, kind of when I was organizing this, well, organizing doing public history type tours. Um, early on, I met Dr. Clefune, and that is why I went back to school to get a master's in heritage preservation. But um, I'm person-centered, human-centered experiences, being a social worker, right. working, that you know, prim- yeah, working primarily direct service. So um, it's, yeah. So, and um, I think just, I will say too, um, like as I've been reading and learning more about different heritages, I do have like rural experiences within my family background, meaning farmers and right. what. And so, just learning more about um, the Black food systems that exist, cooperatives, etc. Um, that uh, these forms of like communities sustainability practices, sovereignty practices is just something that's also synonymous with the Black experience, which also encapsulate a bit of my own personal heritage. So I think that that's very interesting. Um, 
I read a book. I know, I know it's downstairs on my bookshelf. It's uh, I think it's the history of black business in America. Part one. I don't know if there's a part two. I, I needed something in that for, for a, a research that I was doing. So I don't know if there's a part two, but it was called part one. Um, but they talked a lot about farming, even as enslaved people and using sell, selling their produce and using those proceeds. And, and I thought besides, you know, having more food to sustain their families. And I, and it talked a lot about the entrepreneurial spirit. And, and I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of history there. That's not always highlighted. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, so I, I think that that's, I think that's great to, to highlight that the, um, there was, I've, I've heard a couple of, um, NPR stories too about rural farming and how the USDA really discriminated against rural farmers and didn't allow them to um, to get some of the subsidies and loans that they were allowing the white farmers and that you know made a very uneven playing field. Um, so yeah, so I, I I I have I I don't have a ton of interest or or background in that, but it's interesting to me when I hear those stories. Right, right. I mean, I don't have a ton of I guess background in it either, but even right. just you're saying uh, like a, even just a superficial looking a little bit beneath the the surface you find um you, you find those like discriminatory practices that were inherently a part of the u.s government part right. of u.s structure, economically you know going back to enslavement but then to even look at some of the great thinkers wd du bois mm -hmm. um, booker t washington Harvard, like all these people had ideas about um, and knowledge that had been passed down to them from, you know, their elders too, right. around um, uh, municipal practices with, with plants, you know, understanding ecology, understanding the land. And so, I mean, a lot of um, sustainability when it comes to and food justice, like these things are very much a part of our conversation today. Right. But is because of terminology, you know, that has changed some. And so now we say food justice, but like food justice, Same. we, yeah. you know, have food justice in order to be alive today. So right. it's, um, it's real interesting. Um, I think being a part of, I guess, in preservation also in, in heritage cultural work mm -hmm. and just seeing how we think about like the world today and that some of these things just, it's, it's a continuation of it it's not, yeah. But we've got to begin to even frame it that way so that we can even see ourselves in these movements. We can see ourselves and ingenuity as being a part of um, these experiences. That's just, again, it's just nothing new. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And, and when you mentioned book, when you mentioned Booker T. Washington, um, I last summer when we were flying, I read a book um, called The Hidden History of Home Economics. Uh, and, and it was about his wife running the home economics um, department at Tuskegee and how that was a way for women until the fifties, when men took it over and decided that it was just to make homemakers. It was a women, it was a way for women to study hard science, mm. um, engineering and, and making, making, you know, making things. So what they were calling it home economics, but it really was, you know, a way for women to, 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 to kind of go under the radar and, and study in the programs that they wouldn't necessarily be admitted into. So it was, it was really an interesting book, but they, they highlighted a lot of that, um, that history, that agricultural history. And also that there was a, at, at a time, there was a segregated 
part of the FFA, the, the Future Farmers of America, and, and that all of those records are now with the main FFA. So I, I thought it was really interesting. So yeah. Um, yeah. So the things, things that I think are interesting that like, I don't have a lot of other people to talk to. So I'm glad I get to talk to you. <laughs> so, so I, I, I know you came from, from a social work background. So what, what drew you into preservation? What drew me into preservation was the fact that, um, I, I had left Georgia. I moved to New York City and I have also lived in Seattle, Washington. So I lived in two other cities where, um, honestly, when I left Georgia, I was like, I'm leaving the South, never coming back. <laughs> yeah. But I also wanted just a different lifestyle. I was tired of being cooped up in a car as much as it was this thing of liberation and feeling like, yes, I own the world. I can go wherever I want to, when I want to in my car. Um, someone hit me on the way to work and that was like, that was the end of my freedom. Oh, that yeah. sense of sense of safety. And when I moved to New York, I was like, I can go anywhere on my own feet. I can go anywhere with my own power by riding a right. bicycle. There's adequate tra um, public transportation, mass transportation, busing and taking the train. Same thing in Seattle. So I just learned a, um, something that was also, it was benefiting me not only in terms of mobility, but also in terms of mental health. Like I right. felt better. I was more stimulated by my environment. I also felt connected to my environment because I went places I probably wouldn't have gone in a car. Um, and I met people along the, along the way. And um, be, yeah, it just, it just changed my life and lifestyle by doing things that way. And also coming from the South, um, growing up primarily in Metro Atlanta, DeKalb County, um, I am a Gen Xer. So when I was growing up, I bused to school right. and, um, I also lived in segregated space. I lived in primarily a black neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So I experienced, um, segregation still, and it's de facto at this point as well via economics. And so, mm -hmm. um, I, when I lived in other cities, I didn't know what the boundaries were, so to mm -hmm. speak. So yeah. I, cross boundaries and I was in different neighborhoods right. and it changed my relationship to other people. It wasn't something that I had to do in one place or another school or at church or some other public space. Right. It could be an intimate setting. Mm -hmm. So when I came back to the South, um, came back home to Georgia in 2010, um, I the city Atlanta had started to change a lot. Um, it was becoming more diverse, but it, there were still like these holdouts of um, segregation. But then I also had a realization that if we don't understand history in place, then we'll never really have proper relationships or understandings of each other. So I started, a, a, it is a business, Heritage Tours, but I operate it like it's a, a nonprofit. <laughs> It's really about building community and building yeah. connections. And it's and I wanted to do that around history and place using um, using the tool of a bicycle, um, which also has all kinds of connotation because of what we in our like modern day culture think about bicycling. Um, it is a democratic tool. Anyone can use it and any right. and all the body uses it, but we have this idealized version of the bicycle. So it's like all these contradictions mm -hmm. um, to, to like bust up all the contradictions. 
I, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. Um, because I do think that I agree with you. I think that we all need to look at our past, but then we also need to see ourselves in those stories. Um, and, and once you can identify with those, I think that everybody then will feel like they have a stake in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I, I, I definitely, I, I, I commend your efforts. I think that that's really, it, it's important. It, it's important work and it's important work everywhere. Not just, not just in the South. Absolutely. Yeah. Everywhere, yeah. everywhere can it from um, understanding history, thinking about history, seeing right, them yeah. part of it. Well, and, the- yeah. mm-hmm. I was just going to say, you know, and it, the thought when 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 I was thinking about not just in the South, the, the thought ran past my mind that um, that quote that, uh, you know, there's no place more segregated in America than Sunday morning. You know, we yep. don't, you know, we, we, you know, it's, it's one thing to enter to be integrated within school systems or, or, but, you know, to be inter, inter, integrated within, um, the, the very, you know, personal and, and spiritual and, and intimate places. I think that that that's where we need to need to work because it's really hard to view people as other. If, <laughs> if they're, if they're part of your family, if they're part of your, your, your community, if you see them <laughs> on a regular basis and know them as people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. My, my, my dad and I had that argument when, um, when Barack Obama was starting to run for president, he's like, he's never going to get elected. You know? And I said, I said, no, I said, America's getting Brown. I said, I know it's pretty scary to the old white people, but it's happening. (laughs) It's true. I, I was like your dad though. I was very apprehensive. I didn't even want the first election. I was like, I can't even pay attention to this because I don't, my hopes destroyed but um it it was an interesting change to have barack obama to be elected as president and then we had the backlash (laughs) (laughs) but i I think it points to the fact that we still don't understand our history and the things that we have to not just undo but like contemplate it, really find um, those places and spaces that we have to make adaptations, that we got to heal, that we've got to bring some sort of restitution, that we have to come to terms with and accept as this is what happened. But we can do different, you know, we have the opportunity to create change every day. So um, (laughs) as we're in these new rounds of elections, it's just thinking about our budget seasons, you know, thinking about the ways that we can We've, we've got to create change. We got to first understand the history that we come from that created the environments where we live right, right now. Right. And then make, make the, the spending decisions that are going to make a lasting, you know, I, I heard, um, he's actually a preservation economist talk about, um, the spending that was put out after, um, the, the recession in 2008. And he's like, we're, we're spending, we're, we're, we're buying, we're, or what, how did he say it? We're buying Big Macs with $40 mortgages or 40 year old mortgages. He's, and he's like, he's like, we need to look at more sustainable spending, what that the money, it's okay to spend the money, but make sure the money is going to be, you know, longer term than just a meal. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that that's, I think there's some of that thought going on, but it's not, it's not, it's not consistent within our government, either local, state, federal, <laughs> any level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, you're, I think you're right. 100%. Um, 
I mean, and even just, I only learned this recently that preservation is funded through like oil and gas tax. So, oh my goodness. <laughs> so in terms of sustainability, finding ways to build our futures on something that's going to really keep us here for the long term. So we can have these artifacts and these, these materialities that say, Hey, we were here. Yeah. Um, those, those touch points, um, because those, those do their prompts to help, help, um, future generations remember. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I, um, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 everything's complicated. The world is complicated. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so tell me about your, uh, save your space conference. Yeah, save your spaces. So I oh, put spaces, in, sorry. Yeah. It was okay. Like yours, not save our spaces, it's save your spaces. Yeah. So the idea is that the ownership goes to all of us. Like we were saying earlier, this is not something for institutions, it's not something for universities, preservation organizations. This is for the everyday average person who wake up and go to, to work at the post office or you know, take their kids, drop their kids off at school or the grandmother who um, just retired and is doing gardening is for everybody. Right. You know, the school kid that, you know, whatever loves art and whatnot It's for everyone to really get involved and take up some form of action around preservation, preservation of stories of, um, actual physical locations, um, cleaning out an elder dies when you're cleaning out their house. Maybe those materialities need to go to an archive. Maybe they should go to a library or maybe just scan it and take photos, write something about it so that you know, like this was a thing that our person that we love and care about owned and what they did with it meaning was because once all these things are gone they're gone so um we that was the 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 real like impetus something that i had wanted to do with my other organization civil bikes it was really hard to do once um it had an identity and got pigeonholed as being just tours around civil rights which bike tours which none of that is accurate anymore it hasn't been accurate for a long time but it was hard to have that like space for community to have owners and um, so there were series, um, there's probably about 25 people who are professionalized, meaning some, yes, may work for the government, they may work as consultants, um, but they're doing some form of action around um, preservation and uh, be it a physical structures or heritage, culture, um, and they were sharing, like just sharing, sharing with one with each other right. <laughs> as well, anyone who was an audience so that that transference of knowledge and skill and, um, how to navigate to funding, like all those things, the average person, and especially, um, communities that have been not centered in history and in preservation, BIPOC, black, indigenous people of color, mm-hmm. immigrant, refugee people, queer people, um, is really was who was it was designed for. Um, and those were the people who were in positions to like talk about it. Um, so it was like, it was across the age spectrum from young to older. Um, some elders were there. We had um, different racial backgrounds and um, yeah, different types of work environments and experiences um, to really kind of demystify and break down what is preservation? And yes, like also learning the rules, but also like, um, yeah, you can do things different too. 
yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's great. I think it's making preservation accessible and, mm-hmm. and realizing that everybody has a story to be, to be mm-hmm. recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think I, so I, I think that's really, really important that when you said the house clean out, you know, I, um, so in Lancaster County is really strange, um, just in some ways, like we have a lot of plain people. So we have like Amish and Mennonite and brethren, and there's like some traditions here that aren't in other places. So we have like auctions, like that you like go to a place and they just auction off like people's household goods. That's what, when people die, that's what they do. And I walk around there. I've been to them a couple of times. Like it's not where I hang out, but I've, I've been a couple of times and I just walk through and I'm like, this is somebody's like entire house. And, and like, it's the accumulation of all their stuff. <laughs> like we're just, we're just like offering dollars for it. Oh. <laughs> but, but it is, it's like, it's like, you know, like you don't think about like that accumulation until like, it's right there in front of you or you're having right. to do that clean out. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and- yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just, I was just thinking, and you know, so I think it flips flops too between generations. Like if, if somebody really had to get rid, rid of a lot of stuff, then they like throw stuff away all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it, it does flip flop. Um, and that responsibility, I will say, I wish when I was younger, I was very much that person. I loved my grandparents stuff, like <laughs> be it in my imagination, playing with the old iron and oh yeah iron you know to heat up in the fireplace and um the old like old lady not the church lady gloves oh yeah and <laughs> my granddad's fedoras or just looking at the items on their desk but like um we I mean it was like I think I don't think it's just a southern tradition I think it's just how things we have changed how kids what do you want and they get to like whatever they want whatever they want to say and whatever they want to do that's how things are but I came up in a time where kids were spoken to and that's when you were, you know, you kind of had this, it was, um, we all kind of had our, in our household, we had a place and whatnot. So I definitely had a lot of respect for my elders. So I didn't go around asking them questions, (laughs) but I wish I had been, as I got older, had asked questions and did some of that recording because listening to their stories, I mean, they talked, they shared a lot. I mean, it was very rich. It was very thing um and the artifacts too they all had these stories and they had a um you know like there was there was a lot of life that it's really hard to find those depictions um I mean, again, coming out of a, a Gen Xer through the 90s, there's just also, I mean, this like comes out of a search for identity, a search for like some reality. Yeah. A lot of the depictions of Black people, although my heritage is very diverse, I mean, I am a darker skin, brown skinned woman. And, um, and like the depiction of Black people is generally pretty negative. And so, finding something that actually reflects me and my experience or people that I know, mm-hmm. it's always, it's a journey. It, it have to be yeah. like <laughs> weave and bob through a lot of uh, propaganda that does not really help um, even build trust, build relationships, build interracial mm-hmm. positive relationships um, and create neighborhoods and communities where people can coexist i mean there's always these assumptions that people are doing x y and z and um and 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 i don't know maybe it's understandable but 
um, being a person who, who might receive some of that is just hard to contend with. Mm -hmm. So like finding these real stories and happenings and um, creating opportunities for people to learn from others, um, it's a it's a necessary it's a necessary it's a necessary activity that has to be done. Yeah, I I totally agree. I um, I I had a couple of thoughts when you were when you were talking, but yeah, grow in the in I'm I think that um that we're probably similar similar age. I might be a little bit older, but um, they um you know the the you know the first probably positive um like even like upper middle class affluent was the Cosby show, which is like problematic now. <laughs> but, you know, before that, you know, there was good times or I guess the Jeffersons too, but that was a spinoff. Uh, but yet like that was like those, there were just a handful of those shows. And now, now I think the media is doing a much better job. There's, mm -hmm. there's many more ways for, for kids to feel like they're, they're part of mm -hmm part of the the culture <laughs> but yeah I'm um my so I'm biracial my mom's black and my dad's white mm -hmm. and I I do I, I do realize and acknowledge that like most people don't realize it most white people don't realize it. <laughs> and so then I um you know I do get like passes through life that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise and and I and I recognize that and understand that um, I'm not, it's not like it's a big secret, but I also don't lead with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, when I, when my, um, when my mom's mom, uh, her family all moved out of the South when she, before she was born. So in the, probably in the twenties, um, and they moved to Nebraska. And so, uh, before she died, every, all, all my mom's cousins and everybody came together to have Thanksgiving in Nebraska with her. And, um, people were trying to ask her questions about like segregation and, you know, cause they all went to integrated schools cause there just wasn't enough people in Nebraska to segregate, but they also weren't allowed at the pool. Yeah. And so she, so somebody was asking her about the pool segregation and she's like, oh, we just didn't want to go to the pool. And I'm thinking that's like, like I'm pretty sure that wasn't true, but that's probably what your parents told you. Like, <laughs> we're just not interested in swimming. <laughs> oh, yeah. Redirection. Right. Yeah. So, but I, yeah, I, those stories, those, you know, because you, you do, you lose them when, once somebody is gone, you lose those stories and that, that, that history, that, that rich history of, of this is where we came from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think too, the regionality of like black history is also different, similar and, yeah. you know, and on what neighborhood. So it's like, um, I think we sometimes everything gets, again, it gets like pigeonholed and this is the only way that it was, mm -hmm. but I, that's part of the problem is like, we only hear certain voices right? and it, uh, it's not across different spectrums. So socioeconomic regions, et cetera. Like we have to have um, a fuller, not right. even, yeah. Like yeah, we and, gonna... and, yeah, I, I think that's really true because I, I was watching Hidden Figures with one of my friends who, who lives here. Mm. And I had seen it with my mom. We went to the movie theater to see it and I really enjoyed it. I said, you, you know, you and your daughter will love it. You know, come over, we'll watch it. And we were watching it. And there's the point where they're at somebody's house, one of the one of the ladies' houses. And my she and she said, my friend said, 
there's no black people that live like that. I said, the black people in my family did. <laughs> and, you know, and it is, it's, it's, it's because, because by the time my grandmother's generation, almost all of her siblings went to college, which was, I didn't realize was unusual until I was in my thirties. Like, you know, like I didn't realize that it was unusual for, you know, women to even graduate from high school and they were graduating from college. And so that was like, but I didn't realize that that was unusual experience. Like that was one of my aha moments that like everybody doesn't have the same experience I did. And my experience is even, even coming from a, a multiracial background is one of privilege. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that was, that was a, that was a revelation to me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I, I do, I think having a, a, a wide variety of, of experiences and stories really shows the fullness, the fullness of the history. Right. Yeah. Right. And I was, I mean, it's similar to um, my, my background too. Like uh, I would say just in my father's family, um, his father's family uh, had been, so my great-grandmother, my great-grandmother gone to college, my uh-huh. great-grandfather on the college but on my father's mother's side had not um it was like uh his generation of children had gone to college so it's you know regionally there's difference even within the family structure or community structure it's different there are entrepreneurs on both sides of my family Mm -hmm. um but but that's because there was a time period where that was the only way to survive like make a good to make a good living (laughs) yeah yeah. make a good living and um to make a good living and just to be on yeah beyond the scrapes and violence and all the things that happen when you're encased in when someone's encased in poverty yeah so um and and i think like really talking about what happened economically to black people that whole reconstruction post-reconstruction like that history is um i think it's kind of it is, it could have been a turning point in where we are today. And just going back and reflecting on what was the, um, what laws were put into place and what laws were turned back. I mean, because there were people who were making moves from um, just sitting in positions, but actually becoming leaders, judges, and being in a legislator. Well, yeah, Uh, I was just thinking that that they they realized very quickly they had to change the voting if they wanted to stay in power. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, like it's just about economics so um i would say you know one thing that's really is taking place is that people are rethinking um where like within this economics whatever life that we are living what what is going to be their experience right is is college the economic choice and you know back to this cooperative kind of life like there are a lot of people who are making those transitions, but again, this is still something that's not new. It right. is something yeah. that's a part of um, cultures that do not have opportunities to have this vibrant life. Is yeah. just creating mechanisms to make um, your own path. Yeah, your own path. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I really agree with that, and I think that I know when I was in high school, you know, they were everybody was encouraged to go to college and it's not, it's not for everybody. And you can, you can do well and, and not have, you know, gone to college. So I, I think that that's really an, um, I think that's an important message to get out. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. So, um, I'm curious about the, the, um, the DIY or DIY aspect of save your spaces. So did you have like workshops or how did you, how did you 
tackle that aspect of it. Yeah, we did have workshops aside from, you know, just having panels and people sharing information and a lot of uh, deep discussions. There were some, um, put it kind of in an art space, right? Like we did some tie dyeing, which is also cultural. We had um, make your own heritage um, markers. So the idea, we, we know if people are listening, they know preservation, know historic markers and, right. and kind of Signify, but going back to the idea that everyone has a story to tell, you know, why not give it a marker, whether it's in a life where it's in a virtual space, um, but being able to say that this was significant and important to me, I think it takes a lot of, um, it gives back some of the ownership of history and narrative, and also saying that we are all responsible for this. Right. Uh, so that's, that's part of the DIY um, the other aspect was um, getting involved in some of the organizations that were there. People are taking up like various types of work, um, joining, a, joining a project. So I'm not saying there was a call to action and go out, go here, therefore, and do this. Right. It, you can join, you can continue to learn and grow. It was just really the opportunity was to, to, pre to present like there is... Um, there are resources that people can take and use. Um, there's an opportunity to um, think about your own, whatever holding down and then also getting involved. Um, and I will say like, this was really, I mean, it, it, looking back, like it's, it's, it was definitely a kind of a pilot test if we're gonna right. do some stuff. Do, are you, do you think you would do it again next year? Is that your plan? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, it's gonna take some, what is that funding some right. capital yeah. um, in order to, I mean, we did that on a 6,000, basically $6,300 was the budget. That's amazing. And, yeah. yeah to me putting in money myself. Um, but if it, uh, if it wasn't for my former city council person giving me $3,000 just to support the work, mm -hmm. it wouldn't have taken Place. So I really appreciate um, Natalie Archibong for making that contribution because the idea had been there, but it needed a bulk of money that I didn't have myself. Right. Uh, have you so, looked? Have you looked at the National Trust? Um, any of their grants? They have a couple of um, grants for telling under under. Um, I don't. I can't think of the word I want to use. Under under told stories. That's not the word I wanted. <laughs> It's something similar. Yeah. So we are we're state certified nonprofit, and I have a fiscal sponsor. Okay. And a lot of grants you need to be a five hundred one c three. Yeah, but that's another process. Yeah. And I will say, like, um, yes, this is definitely a grassroots organization. I am a social worker, and I kind of feel like that's the space that I I feel right. yeah. out in the preservation space because most organizations are disconnected from communities. They're disconnected right. from these underrepresented communities. That's and the word. <laughs> it's intentional. I mean, I don't necessarily like that word, but like that is the word that people understand yeah. and they hear. Um, like, oh, you're talking about like black people. Yeah, I'm talking about black people. I'm talking about people of color. Anybody who, who hasn't had their story told women. Yeah, yeah. anybody, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, there are a lot of folks that fall into that category. A lot of different groups fall into right. that category. So it's just, um, it is thinking of like, 
in order to really get there, funding has to change. You know, it can't just be because even to become a 501c3, it's a long process. Right. It takes money. And um, and most groups may not have that or have yeah. it at the time. It's very long. It's an even longer process. Yeah. So getting around and navigating these spaces, um, it takes time. Not everyone's going to go back to college. I went back to, to graduate school. I'd already had a degree. You right. know, I didn't really yeah. need another degree but um it took me a longer time to do it because i have an adult life at this point um but not everyone's going to take that opportunity to go back and to change a career and do all of work so how do we get from where we are today to where we want to say we where we say we want to be right we've been intentional about not just saying okay you've got to meet our standards right but how can we support the work that you're doing and that's I mean, that's what I will say I need, and I'm sure any other organization that is doing this kind of work probably also needs to. And um, I'm not a well-funded person, but I've made those personal sacrifices in order to, um, you know, to do this because I think it's important and necessary. Yeah, I, um, I agree. So are there are there ways that our listeners could could um, support you or help support your, your mission? I think one, it's, I would say it's money beyond okay. money. I think it is, um, say, partnering, um, inviting us to provide a service for for you know the, the their community because maybe I mean and I will say this too we got um, I got into several conversations with people outside of the state of Georgia because they are wanting to do something similar do do work within their own communities right and I. Like if it's not something that you do, find someone. And I'm not saying I'm not from every community, but I definitely know how to help build those connections and build a structure around that. I mean, I've demonstrated it in several in several different ways. And um, whether it's um, yeah, so I think it's you know contact me and see what are some of the other ways. But I think those are two primary. collaborations i mean that's yeah. other basically those are really the okay. two big what what trends or challenges um do you see in preservation from from your your vantage point yeah from my vantage point i think the biggest trend is that um there has been a shift um you mentioned the national trust i mean they are giving funding towards and making priorities um, of underrepresented communities and i think that is a big trend um, I think the other big trend is that people of those communities, they want to be part of that. You know, right. they want to, be, they don't want to still be um, talked about by um, the, the same, the same, the same um, type of organizations. They want to be a part of this. And I think for the conversation, me, yeah, I agree with that. Part of even leading, mm-hmm. um, you know, and designing and um, doing things that are culturally specific and relevant. Um, and I say the other trend is that people do want to have spaces where they can talk about his, their own histories too. So be it spaces where queer people are gathering and talking about their own history and heritage and identities. Black people want that too. Again, I mean, it's such a wide, um, we've only seen very narrow parts of our stories, but talking mm-hmm. about it and going through things, colorism and interraciality and, you know, um, what, you know, what does it mean to be Black? So we're talking about Blackness and identity, anti-Blackness, 
we have to do that also thinking about history and culture and traditions as well. Um, and immigrant, um, immigrant and refugee stories and histories and heritages here in the U.S. because they also are extensive and long. Right. And so they're recent, but still there is like a, yeah. a change in their cultures and their histories. And so I think, you know, there are so many, those are the trends that I kind of keep watch of and thinking of and, um, and I'm, I'm mindful of because of who I'm connected to. And right. I mean, there are plenty of white people in my life that I'm connected to. Right. And, you know, and just even of, of that story of, of, of like white those stories. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, there's such way more diversity mm-hmm. of narratives that need to be told where there, it's not just white there's all cultures that have been pulled into into whiteness and I really you know um Dr. Carol Anderson at Emory who writes a lot about white whiteness and white identity and Nell Painter both of those historians really do go into um they're two black women but they go very deep into whiteness and white identity white formation and some of the outputs of those things today and I just kind of push their expertise together but um, I think, you know, if we can explore m- more of our, like, I would say true selves, mm-hmm. truth, you know, and, and have truth telling. Right. And sometimes to begin within our own communities. And, um, and we just can't be afraid of complicated, complicatedness. And, I, and there are, if it's not, I, I think the Gen X, I think we're really at the, on both sides of this coin. I feel like the, the, the kids younger than us are, are really diverse um, in terms of their beingness, in terms of their identity, and they are very flexible and comfortable with comp- complications right. that we probably begin to think of because we haven't had to live in those spaces. Mm-hmm. They're really good at it. So yeah. to have that deference to really allowing them to come into um, the world in a way where they can that can be pushed towards even yes. towards, yeah. you yeah. know, no, so. I, yeah, the, the, the high school age kids, you know, college age kids that I'm around, they do, they amaze me because their, their worldview, their understanding of things, like even difficult topics is way bigger than mine was at that age. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I, I, and I'll tell them that I'm like, you know, I'm now I'm telling old, you know, I'm, I'm the old lady that that's just amazed that, that you'll talk to me about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it is. It's it's pretty. It's 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 it's. I think that that's a, a a testament though to the to the changes that are happening within the culture, and mm-hmm. and the and the openness and the and the understanding. Um, and so I think those are positive things. And I think mm-hmm. that that's what some of the 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 divisions that are happening in the country right now are are direct a direct um, reaction to that because it's scary to people who, who don't, who don't want the status quo to change. Right. Right. And, and, and if we look at history, that's typically been the, the, you know, what happens. <laughs> it's a couple uh... steps forward. So what, uh, but, but thank So um, is there anything that you, um, that I, you know, didn't think to ask you that you, or that you thought about sharing while we were talking? Um... No, I think um, trying to, my brain is like, but I think um, 
I feel like we covered most things. Um, and I would say the, I think the real, the last thing, um, that be it a trend or be it just kind of my, one of my core values at this point is linking preservation, um, linking this work to the everydayness Mm -hmm. of our life. I mean, it makes it something that it's not complicated, it's not difficult, but it really makes it, it can make um, this work, um, what is that? I think more fertile and also more dynamic and that people begin to care and pay more attention. yeah. And, if, and if that's the goal, you know, yes. like it, yeah. what is the goal of preservation, I think we always have to ask ourselves that question. What are we preserving? Why are we preserving this? What are our goals and intentions? Yeah. Because whatever that is, that's what we're going to get. So if we right. really want people to be participating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. then. I, I, yeah. I think that that's really important. Um, and when you were talking about like linking preservation to like everydayness, it made me think of, um, and anybody who listens to the podcast knows that I talk about this book, probably just about every podcast, but there's a book that came out maybe two or three years ago called slavery in the North. And he's, um, he's a political science professor that, um, at Bryn Mawr and outside of Philadelphia. And he, um, he wrote, he, he didn't realize he was writing a preservation book. But he was he was talking about collective memory and how if you acknowledge these places that are associated with events mm-hmm. are still here, then generations will remember those events. But if you don't, as generations as generations either move away or die, those events get lost mm-hmm. and they don't get remembered because that collective memory doesn't retain it. And I've I've thought about that a lot, um, just thinking about like um some of the even sites in, in, in Lancaster that, that, you know, are going to lose their, um, their meaning unless we, not that the building's going to be gone, but nobody's going to remember because it's not going to be a part of their lives. Yeah. 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 So I think, yeah, that whole collective memory and having everybody, you know, certain things that, that everybody remembers or most people remember, I think that's important. Um, in, in, in preservation. And then it also is the reason why, you know, buildings get preserved, you know, that people (laughs) remember. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I will say one thing that's happening here in Georgia is like, one, it was, there was a lot of farmland. There was a lot of undeveloped, but what's, what's there. And are we taking the time to look, to see what's in the ground, what's on the ground, because it wasn't occupied. There is a lot of materiality that we're just bulldozing and building over. Um, And then, you know, go along with that is that once it's developed, it has a whole new narrative. So we don't do a lot of saving structures here. There are that are saved. um, But what are the stories that we're remembering? And for the the, the, the built environment that we do destroy, what stories are we reporting? What are we sharing about that? so that, yeah, that's very important. And yeah, that, and I know there's like a chunk of Georgia that was destroyed during the civil war and, you know, then, so you lo- you lost all the early buildings there, but, um, that, that's all part of the history too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of history as well. Yeah. But even, you know, even with that, as we are developing these, what have been vacant, maybe in the past generation, if we're developing the, those properties, right. there's probably artifacts there's artifacts from enslavement there's artifacts from um what is what the state of georgia calls prehistoric which is (laughs) 
um, Native Americans, our Creek, Muscogee, Cherokee, right. you know, all different people groups. And those are the big ones, not the smaller ones. The com- they were in the confederacies. Um, you know, who are they? What, what, what materiality is left and available? Right. And I'm sure if they did arche- ar- archaeological digs, they would find much more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thank you so much for, for talking with me today. How can our, how can our listeners contact you? Yeah. Um, an easy way, um, I will say, since we're talking about Savior Spaces, info at saviorspaces.org. Um, that's the email. Save Your Spaces has a website, saviorspaces.org. You can also email me, nedradedwallerconsulting.com, at gmail.com. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay, very good. We'll make sure that those are on our um, website where the where the podcast is hosted. So if somebody's listening and didn't get a chance to write it down, they can just go and find you there. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, same here. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. It was nice. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.